0: Thank you.
1: The Big Cheese.
0: Welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It's good to be back on the air live on a Sunday night. You know, we had a Halloween show last week, so we actually did do a live show, but uh, I was off the air for the last week or two, uh, way on vacation. But it's November 3rd, and I'm happy to be here. We kick things off tonight with the little Crowmags mags and Death Camp. That comes off the band's second record, Best Wishes. At that time, I, I believe it was just Holly, Doug, and Paris. They had a different drummer. Mackie was out of the group. John Joseph wasn't singing anymore. Holly took over the vocals. The band had a big fallout, which kind of still goes on until today. Uh, But Holly got the name of the band back. So uh, he's going out as the Cro-Mags now. And I think the other band has to perform under the Cro-Mags something, something, or whatever. Uh, All these litigations and lawsuits, multiple fractions of the same bands playing out there. It's happened all over the place, and it's kind of a shame. But it is the way of the world. All right, we got a great show for everybody tonight. Yana Chapenko from Wench. And pre metal syndrome is I guess. We'll be talking to her in about twenty five minutes or so. We're gonna keep the music going between now and then. Agents still have a brand new record coming out. I can only imagine what it's gonna be or sound like or who's gonna be in the band by the time it does come out. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, there was a story I think on Blab- in Blabbermouth or Brave Words. I, I don't know where it came from, uh, where uh, John Sye was talking about joining Megadeth in the beginning and how they broke the news to his mom that it wasn't going to be in the band. Uh, it's, it's a pretty funny article. I have to find out where I saw it. I was over in Europe when I was uh, on the internet and I, and I was reading it, but I'll, I'll look into it and I'll, I'll post it. link. It's pretty funny. All right, Agent Steel, 144,000 gone. <laughs>
1: It's just, by nine, it's just a fire. It's a It's through the night. Fight, fight, fight
0: That is definitely in my top 10 favorite records of all time. The Freedom Rise record from back in the day. Uh, Joe Como is a singer with the band, you know, uh, since the second record, actually the third record since his master plan came out. But, uh, you know, nothing beats Andy Mouchard on the original vocals and singer of the band. I would love to see them do a little reunion with him. I don't think it'll ever happen. Uh, I saw them at the Defenders of All Fest a few years ago, and, and Anthony said they were working on new material, new music. But that show had to be about five years ago, and uh, nothing's come out of it. I think they've done one or two festivals, you know, one of shows here and there since that time. But not much has come out of the band. And it's a shame because they were a great band. I mean, don't get me wrong. Joe does a great job with the band. And I enjoy the record he was on, but nothing beats, you know, that original first album by the group. And before that, Enforcer, I guess the original Enforcer out of Chicago. Everybody refers to the Swedish band these days, but they were a great band. I mean, they only had demo tapes out really uh, back when they were around. I think there was two or three demos, like 84 to 86. Uh, But they were such a great act, you know? But uh, I think it was 2009 uh, when somebody released uh, the classic Chicago metal record, kind of remixed all the demos, some live tracks, some unreleased songs. Uh, Really, really good tape. We've had Brian Lee in the show many times before in the past. Uh, the band actually is pretty active, uh if you wanna call like, you know, just having the name out there. <laughs> they don't perform or record it or anything, but every time you hear about them they always say they're active, but nothing much comes out of them also. All right, we're gonna get back to the music here. And I gotta tell you, I feel like you're here. Like you know, the last couple of weeks we were talking about how Quiet Riot's been out there playing. You know, Frank has been missing all these shows. And he was only original member not original, but you know, the last member of that classic lineup. And then like I you know, I found out that they had cancer, so I felt like like a shit. <laughs> Piece of shit for saying that kind of stuff, you know. But uh, yeah, what am I going to do? You can't take it back now, right? So hopefully Frank will get better and will beat it. It is stage four pancreatic cancer. That's pretty well advanced, so we'll have to see what happens with that. We've had Frank on the show multiple times, and we talk a lot off the air. Uh, he is a great guy, but that doesn't hold me back from saying what I want to say about the band or any other band. That's just the way it goes. All right. How about we uh do a little uh, whiplash for Empty Skulls? King Diamond with Karen. King is playing this week at the Kingstad in Brooklyn. It kind of fits, I guess. I believe we got Yana on the line. Let's connect there and we'll get this interview going. Yana, this is Mike. Can you hear me?
2: Yeah, I can hear you. What's up?
0: Uh, hey, how you doing? It's great to talk to you. Yeah, great to talk to you, too. I haven't done one oh, of these man. in years. <laughs> I know. You know what? I was I was bouncing around through my record collection, and I was playing the PMS record. I said, you know what? I got to go find somebody from that band again, Mon. Who better than you?
2: Oh, thank you. Well, I'm here. I'm <laughs> local. There's also... Um, I know. Well, Lorraine lives in in, uh, in Pennsylvania. Laura is in Staten Island, and
0: Allie is in uh, London. That's right. She's been living there a long time, if I remember.
2: Oh, she's been there a very long time. Since actually uh, our first tour, uh, she stayed there.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I in '92, I should say. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but I remember when you guys played. I think it was one of your first shows. Uh, it was either with the Crow Mags or the Bad Brings in Manhattan. I remember seeing that show for the first time. It I was know one you guys of our first wanted.
2: shows. Yeah, it was uh, Rock Hotel on Jane Street, the original That's one. That's it. Um, and it was 19 uh i believe 85 i think it was 85 i mean my mind is a sieve but i think it was 85 and it was uh yeah we opened up for chromags and bad brains and um funny thing was andy warhol was there that night it was hysterical oh. And he I came don't up why.
0: to us. He, and he
2: actually he didn't come up to us. Uh, he he sent a representative to tell us how much he liked us,
0: <laughs> which was pretty funny. That was, that was beyond him to talk to the bands.
2: <laughs> well, of course, you know it, it's Warhol. He's a wacky personality anyway. So I'm, i I'm surprised he didn't come in disguise anyway.
0: <laughs> but, but that was a great show on me I, I mean you won the band with two like you know really established acts It was one of the band's first shows I mean you know a lot of people don't realize That around 84, 85 you know The hardcore metal scene started to meld a little bit in New York Kids that were into the heavy metal wanted something faster and heavier And more, more raw So we're going towards the hardcore scene And, and you guys right. were right there sort of at the top of it Before it really kind of took off well,
2: we were hardcore kids. We were we were not metal kids. I mean, everybody in the band, um, uh, the original lineup of, of PMS, uh, we were just friends from the Lower East Side. You know, uh, hardcore scene. You know, it was Carmen. It was Gina. It was Alice, and it was Kitty Hawk. Was also one of our bass players, who was, uh, when even when I started hanging out in, uh, on the Lower East Side in '81 and going to to A7 and and CBs and stuff and. Uh, Rap Cage Records, because th- that was where people met up before even A7 became really, really, you know, blown out, and everybody started playing there. The Congregation Point eighty eighty one was by Trash and Vaudeville during the day, you know, hanging out there on St Mark's, and then everybody would go to either Sounds Record Store or or the seminal the place was you know Rap Cage, and uh, that's where we would get all our newest cassettes uh and trading and zines and and uh the records that you can't you couldn't buy at that time anywhere else and and basically that's how kids found out about shows and and everybody would would then go follow you know it was it was like a little herd of people and it was so small at that time but it was like a little herd of people going from show to show and uh all the time it was the same sort of uh faces uh and it grew from there and it and then by 86 i would say it exploded you know it it was really pretty you know pretty you know huge i would say that 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 went into the heavy metal and then the crossover started and um you know and here we are <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny. You know, I still work in the city till today, and every time I go down towards you know the lower side, I'm like I don't even recognize them no more. <laughs> I'm like this uh, wasn't well, I live upstate right now, days. so
2: I, I hardly go to the city. And uh, funny enough, um, on Friday this this past Friday, uh, there was a party uh, at Bowery uh, Electric. This book, uh, photographs of Karen O'Sullivan and that Ray Parada put out, which are great photographs, and the reason why this and, and there were a lot of books coming out by drew drew from l a Corlin um did the matinena book, which is gorgeous, gorgeous uh sort of like scavulo like high fashion photographs of these punks but but that was his kind of style. Karen's was a little bit more gritty, and the great part uh, about um, about all of this drew's photographs were between eighty three and Eighty-five, I, sh- I would say. Uh, then uh, another person that put out way, a, a long, long time ago, I don't know, God, it's got to be like 20 years at this point, uh, this woman by the name of Bree Hurley uh, also uh, had a book called Making the Scene. and But that was also photographs from like 85 or so uh, and 83 from 83 to 85 as well. But Karen O'Sullivan's photographs, uh, the book that just came out, it's called Below 14th Street. Uh, you could go on, fa- uh, on Facebook and just look it up. And they have a page, and you could order uh, the book. Um, they were early photographs, I would say from like 1980 to 83. And the only reason I'm mentioning this is because the scene had a really remarkable transformation, During that time, the scene in 1980 to 83 is completely different from the scene 85 and onward. And then the 90s, then, you know, it's completely different because in the early, like in the 80, from 80 to 83, you, you had sort of remnants of that CBGB's punk rock sort of scene and then melding together and new bands such as the stimulators it it was actually even before agnostic front or Chromex or any of those bands were even together i mean but there were other bands uh th- that were popular and minor threat uh with you know also people that toured i i should say you know i'm trying to think about all these things so i might just sound discombobulated it's not no, not at all <laughs> Because I'm trying to remember everything and chronologically put it all in order because it it was a completely different scene from 80 to 83 – than, let's say, from 83 to 85 and from 85 onward, you know? So, uh, you know, people saying, oh, you know, people, you only think about the old school, the old... only because, not because we were any better, but because the scene was different, just like with any scene. In the early stages, it's completely different than when it's already blown up. So, exactly, you know, I just have to put I my great sense no, I... into that.
0: No, no, I couldn't agree more. I, you know, to me, 84 was definitely... A, I mean, I was there, you know, from the beginning, and 84 was definitely a turning point, you know, for the scene what took place. You know, when CBGB started having, you know, the Sunday matinees, that's when, like, yeah. the hardcore scene really started to explode over there. You had the Pyramid oh, Club, and a lot of great places in the city. And, and I couldn't agree more. When you are at something at the very beginning, compared to 10, 15 years down the road, it's kind of a been there, done that type of thing. And the I think thing people don't is, realize is that.
2: that I, I agree with you, and that's why I kind of... Um, in the beginning, everything was experimental. Everything was new. New sounds were being made. I mean, when I first listened to Bad Brains, you know, I, my mind was blown. I, I know I was witnessing something unique. That something that really is going to change the music scene, and it did. And uh, but then I, I think they are—they do get their due and credit, but not in such a huge way, they should get way more credit than than they do, actually. But it was all new and exciting. Later on, and it's with any sort of music, it becomes contrived, sort of, everybody starts sounding the same. You know, and in the beginning, it was more like... Finding yourself, finding that certain sound, doing, you know, there was no formula. You did whatever you wanted. Do you you know what I'm saying? It wasn't so regimented that, you know, oh, you know, you're hardcore. You have to, this is your outfit. This is what you look like. This is how you have to act. This is the bands you have to like. Back then, you know, skins, punks, new not new wavers, but I would say they, they were like punk rockers. But they, within the punk rock, there were, you know, different little um, sort of uh, groups that were different, they were into different types of bands, but anyway, there was some sort of, every, everything was congealed, everybody was together, we moved from band to band, from show to show, it was a little bit more unified, but then it, it became very regimented, you know what, everybody wanted to sound like Bad Brains, and when Chromex did that in the most beautiful way, just to, 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 took all of uh, of the... Uh, some of the things that Band Braids did and added some heaviness, maybe a Black Sabbath. They had other influences. There, I think, to me, were, were sort of the best people to hold the torch after the, the Bad Brains. But then everybody wanted to sound exactly the same. So, you know what, to me, I love certain bands, and that's why I don't listen to new bands, because I'd rather listen to the old bands that actually created the sound than regurgitated bullshit that, you know, people try to sound like everybody else. I don't want to listen to a band that sounds like Agnostic Front. I'd rather go and listen to Agnostic Front. Do you know what I mean? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm sorry, I'm, know, try- I mean, I'm trying to talk yeah. and
2: explain myself, and, oh, and I'm okay. getting a brain freeze. I forget. I do, do speak Don't English. Worry.
0: <laughs> Don't worry. Okay. You know, when you go back to those days, I mean, you know, the punk and the hardcore scene back then was really a do-it-yourself type of thing. Absolutely. So, when pre-metal got started, I mean, was it difficult trying to break into the scene, or did you have help? Was it, you know, did you have management? Because most things didn't have management. that early No. On. Well, the
2: point uh, is, back then we were part of the scene. We were the scene. So when you would play, your friends would come and see you. So no, we didn't have any manager or we did it all by ourselves. We were just girlfriends on the lower east side we were at park Inn, and there was a cool bar where everybody used to go that was our local bar and we were at park Inn, and we were having drinks and we just said hey man you know let's just jam and it was gina and carmen these two crazy cubans from miami and gina was going out with johnny johnny stiff and uh you know, they decided to put a band together. Then they brought this girl, Elizabeth, from Florida, who they jammed with uh, when they were punk rockers over there. And, uh, you know, we, we started a band. We didn't even really know what we were doing, or we didn't even know how to play instruments, but we, cre- you know, we, we knew we had certain influences, and we just started writing, and that was our first album. And, um it was kind of like a mixture, to me, PMS, first album, um, is a mixture of, like, rock and roll, like but like old-school rock and roll, a little grungy, but, you know, there's a lot of punk in there, you know, but it, people mistook that for be, being metal, and I don't mind. I, I really don't give a shit, but what pissed me off is that Maximum Rock and Roll, and that was uh, in... I forget what year, but they did a whole huge interview with us, and then they didn't print it because they considered us heavy metal. And I'm like, motherfucker, I've been hanging out. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. I, can I do not, this? Can, oh, wait. Yeah, yeah. I you cursed, can curse. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, curse. blah, 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 blah. Um, I've been <laughs> hanging out. I'm punk rock. And these, whoever the hell they are, they're telling me they're not going to, you know, run an interview because we're too heavy metal. Oh, at that point I was like maximum rock and roll toilet paper. I don't care. I, 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 ugh, it, it just drove me nuts. So That's ridiculous. whatever. Oh, <laughs> it's stupid. I've never heard it's it that before stupid.
0: because you know, they were like the Bible for the hardcore and punk rock scene back in the day. Oh that's my like, God! You know. Of
2: course, I thought I bought that every single month. You know, Maximum Rock and Roll, the Scene Report. Remember the Scene Reports from yep. every city, yep. and that's how you kept in touch. If, if you couldn't travel, you know, you knew what was going on and everything. Like you said, how did I? We broke in, in into the hardcore scene. You don't break it. You did everything by yourself. Guess what? You wanted to play. You wanted to play Baltimore when we played. You wanted to play L.A. You wanted to play other uh, towns. You knew from these fanzines who the bookers are, what the clubs are that were booking the type of music that you were playing. And you just call up and send them the tape, and that's it. And that's how you got booked. So and in terms of playing in New York City, we didn't have to break into the scene. We were part of the scene. People that came to our shows were the bands that we would go see. So, you know, it was a little bit more inclusive than that. It wasn't pay-to-play or any other, you didn't have to have uh, a manager, which some bands did, of course. But we were not that huge. We could handle everything ourselves. And even our first tour, we booked ourselves in Europe. Uh, I did that. And uh, the second tour in 92, I did that too. And I, we used an existing uh, company called MAD from Germany. And they do a lot of, to this day, they book huge shows at this point. But, you know, they heard of us. They knew that we were part of the scene. And even though maybe we weren't so hardcore per se, how we should be sounding, um, they, they still booked us, and we had a great time.
0: Yeah. And do that's all, first what I'm going to played... say
2: about do-it-yourself. That's what I loved about yeah. the old scene.
0: It's true. Do you remember the first time you played CBGB? Did you have to audition for Ellie?
2: Uh, not audition for him. Uh, I think uh, we, a, we gave him like a rehearsal tape or something, and he said, yeah, yeah all right. And he was always <laughs> very, very nice to us. And uh, Louise, who booked there for the longest of time, gave us really good shows. And CBGBs, we played so many times there. It was, I loved playing CBs. And the most important thing I loved from CBs was getting those tapes of live recordings, because usually you would get either, what's his name, Tommy from Prong as a sound guy, and he did a great job. I still have a bunch of, I have to find them, like live from CB's, PMS tapes. I think uh, I do have them somewhere in the barn, but um, I should just break them out, find them, and listen to them, because I remember the quality was awesome, because people who knew their shit were behind the controls.
0: Exactly. The club had a great sound. Tommy was an amazing sound guy behind yes. there. you know, and he's got prong going all these years now. So, you know, I'm happy for him.
2: Oh, I and think he, they're still times. playing. Didn't they just play or something or open up for yeah. either with Agnostic Front or somebody?
0: Yeah, they were in the city uh, not too long ago playing. Uh, they got a tour coming up again and a new record. Uh, so, you know, that's always great stuff. And like I said, I remember, like, you know, when the band goes on, the record comes out now. I mean, did you feel like the band ran its course at that point in time after the record? Because it wasn't long after that, I think, before Wentz really started to come around. The what? I'm sorry, say it again. After the record comes out, after the, the PMS record comes out, it wasn't yeah. that much longer after that, I guess, before the band kind of fell apart. And uh, Well, you know, yeah, kind the, the band was falling
2: that. apart. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the the record comes out, and half of the band decides to leave, and we form Wench. And Carmen and, and, and Gina basically were left with PMS, and, and they did their own version. We kind of, at that point, we learned how to play our instruments, okay? <laughs> we started writing <laughs> material that to be a little heavier, you know? And uh, we wanted, uh, I guess you would say, ca- you know, categorize it as more metal sounding. And uh, is somebody trying to call me? Hold on a minute. I'm gonna be really pissed. I don't know who that is. Anyway, <laughs> screw <them. laughs> I ask people, do not call me. You know, of course some it's asshole will. You know, Ooh. Probably some, anyway,
0: it's probably some Nigerian just looking to tell you you won the lottery or something.
2: Oh yeah, I wish. If hey, if I won the lottery I'd hang up on your ass so fast. <laughs> your head would spin. <laughs> anyway. So, um so we formed Wench and that was and Wench, you know, was kind of tongue in cheek. We always had a good sense of humor about ourselves. We never took ourselves very seriously. We took what we did seriously and our music and we loved it. We lived it. It was our life. But we didn't take ourselves very seriously. And um, so then the wench was born in eighty six, I should say, yeah. And our yeah. first demo was eighty eight, eighty seven, eighty eight, or so. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it was a Sumus Quad Sumus or something, if I remember. Sumus Quad Sumus then. was
2: the first one. Yep. And the second one was nineteen eighty nine, ninety, um, and then and then what happened was this British company uh record company wanted to release an album and they said, you know what, why don't we just uh remaster both of those demos and release a tidy sized chunk and that's what happened.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say that both of the demos are on there but I didn't know if you guys just went in to re record them or if they were it's not they were remastered. No, I no, guess. no, so they, they just remastered the them. them. Yeah, oh, okay. just
2: remastered them. That's it.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, wish we could recorded everything, but we didn't. But that comes out in 91. You know, the scene was still kind of hot and happening. I at think that it time, was but...
2: 1990. Not, was it 91? I thought it was 90. I think it's You were I, no I better than I, me. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't remember anything anymore. I'm like, you know, I'm having geriatric <laughs> moments here and there. Um, I think it was 1990. Uh, yeah, I think it was 1990. I'm not sure. 90, 91. Who cares? Whatever. Um right. I wish we could have re-recorded it uh because the first uh demo was was with a different lineup and second demo was with Lorraine Herrera which was an she she was and still is, you know, great guitar. She was a shredder, you know. Meryl from the first demo, um she was Elizabeth was a great guitar player, but by the time we released the second demo, she was no longer in the band because she was, uh, she got into hair. She was a heroin addict, basically. And yeah, she OD'd yeah. also after we uh, came back from tour. We asked her to go to tour with us. She said no, she couldn't because she just got out of rehab. And by the time we came back in 92 from the second tour, um, and actually on the second tour, we played with Agnostic Front it and, and there was a tour of Holland and Germany that the MAD agency booked us. But anyway, by the time we returned home she already was dead.
0: Oh wow. Yeah. Wow. Well you talk about the Stone Cold demo, the second demo tape. Do you think there were big consistencies between that and the first one because of the lineup changes?
2: Uh well we grew. Musically, you know, uh, members changed, so the sound would change a little bit more. Meryl was a little bit more. She she was a great songwriter, and she was very. She had the the this melodic talent. She 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 had a really good talent for melody. Uh, The like the songs uh, "Die," "Crying," or "Dog." Those were her songs, and if you listen to them, they they have a lot of melody in them. They're very melodic and very catchy. Um, the second one, Stone Cold, I would say was a little bit more experimental and, and slightly heavier, perhaps. And, uh, we it, uh, and we did record it. And we did record it. Oh, my God, what the hell was that? Oh, my God. It was in Cor- uh, Cornell, New York. Where was it? Oh, whatever. It was it was this place upstate New York where the Cornell College is. what's that town? Where every a lot of people recorded. I I I, I don't even remember the names or whatever. But it was like a place where a lot of people went to do their demos, a lot of metalheads, okay? But when the demo came out, I wasn't impressed with the sound that much and a lot of people said that the drums sounded like <laughs> like tin cans. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh,
2: whatever, you know, you live and learn, of course, a lot of mistakes. If I had my way now, I would rework everything, you, you know, redo a lot of things. But um, I'm so proud of uh, what we've done, you know, trailblazing and shit, <laughs> opening doors. Definitely for women but you know it wasn't any statement or anything we were always we never thought that women can't do it or because when we started women were part of the scene it wasn't oh my god it's a girl band who cares we there were exactly. other there was there was killer instinct there were other people doing it before we even started and we never ever felt like Anything anybody was against us or anybody was keeping us down, the only people that pissed me off were Maximum Rock and Roll, so they could fuck themselves.
0: Whoever (laughs) made that decision, anyway. Oh, god, that studio of state was it Pyramid Sound Studios?
2: Oh, my god, I think it might be. Yeah, yeah, is that is that where, is that where Cornell College is? Where, where's that? Yeah, it's in that um, same area. I think it's like a Yeah, Ithaca, probably, it, oh, probably it. Probably. What, what, yeah. what was the name of that engineer? He worked with a lot of famous people. Maybe. His oh name my God. A P. P. Maybe.
0: I know what you're talking about it because Carl Candy from the Rods worked up there a lot with him. Uh, oh my God. I don't I, even I have the demo in front like of, of me
2: because it's probably on the demo. It says you record it at, I think it is Pyramid Sound. I think it is. You know, yeah, I like just don't remember. Yeah, it,
0: I can't it's think of anything now.
2: What the hell was the guy's name? He, he, you know, I don't know. The only reason we went there is because we were told and we, you know, you read magazines and everybody goes there and everybody loves working with this guy. He gets you a good sound.
0: And, you know, for some people it
2: might work, for other people
0: it might not. Alex Perielis, that's his name.
2: Yes, yes,
0: you got it. it Jesus
2: Christ, I might not remember anything, but if you mention it, (laughs) I'll remember. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I don't remember my wife's birthday, but I could tell you all this stuff that makes no sense and means nothing <laughs> all these years later. Thank
2: you. But you know what? I don't know. I I forget a lot of things, but if I start talking about it and people start reminding me, plus whatever, I get brain freezes, it's okay. We're all getting a little older.
0: <laughs> it's so, all right. So you really had a lot going on with Wentz at that time. Like I said, you went over to Europe, you, you know, you did a tour over there, you were playing over here. You know, the Tidy Slice Chunk record comes out around 90. You know, you start making a, you know, just building up a name again for the band. Were you had any, I mean, back then, like today, no band would give up a, an established name to start over with another band because they feel like they need that to... For the attention, but you guys didn't have any trouble, like you know, breaking off from PMS. So you know what? Because now we're we, didn't, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't care. It
2: wasn't about becoming Britney fricking Spears. It was about just doing what you wanted. You know, it it was a long art project in my mind. You know, I was developing as a singer. You know, when I started singing, I never sang before, but I had some opera training as a kid. And I was always into singing, but I was, uh, you know, singing the blues and, you know, the jazzy and the oldies. I actually learned to sing, and somebody gave me this advice. Listen to old Frank Sinatra records and try to sing with him, you know. But also when I was a kid, my dad was very much into opera, so I was a kind of opera buff. So I, I taught myself how to sing, and lo and behold, I had a voice, and... Everything just, you know, clicked into its place. And and the good thing and the beauty of it all, it was we had freedom to experiment. Nobody was holding a gun or even a wallet in front of us saying you have to be this, you have to dress like this, you have to sound like this. It was all the beauty of punk and early metal even was experimentation. You don't have to please anybody but yourself, and you would go out there and play, and if people liked you, great. And if they didn't, fuck you. Who cares? We're having a good time. And
0: that's, that's the attitude to have.
2: Absolutely, that's the only attitude to have because you know otherwise, it, it's it, it's contrived. It, it's it, it's business, and it was never business for us. It was always just the love of music, the love of what we were doing, companionship, camaraderie, all of those things. It was it was. Great
0: fun. Yeah, well, you know, because so many bands, when they record, you know, and they establish a sound, maybe it's the first demo, the first record, you know, and then they have a little success with it. They try to repeat that album after album, song after song. Well, that's because they're scared to, to
2: lose, you know. They're either scared to lose their followers that will turn on them, or we were never that huge that I was ever afraid to lose something. And so what? You know, I know who I was. But if somebody didn't consider me punk rock enough or whatever, well, you can suck it because I'm probably more punk rock than you. Who the fuck are you to tell me what to sound like, what to do? You know, I, you know, look, I'm not a wallflower, obviously. So uh, I did what I wanted to do. And, you know, it it was great fun. And I'm so grateful. grateful that i just didn't stick to one thing that i experimented that i had the opportunity to record three albums uh with my latest band whatever which also was broken up but it was called shiny mama and i tried different sounds and shiny mama was the most commercial out of all of them and guess what i love that album you know what comes around goes around and it's on iTunes if you can go you know shiny mama what comes around goes around you could check it out and it's just it, it it's sort of it's an arc of development and and life and i don't know i had a great time what can i say
0: <laughs> no, you did well, even, even when once uh, put the last tape by did with the, uh, What was it on the Youth Anthem I think Requiem Another song That was completely different than Everything you did before that So that it was, was always In a that band
2: That was just a demo That was just a demo That never went yeah. anywhere And hardly It's funny enough You know about it But hardly anybody Knows about it And it was um, Also with, with Different people uh, And Kate Schellenbach from the Beastie Boys was actually the drummer, because Wench 2.0 included Sarah Cox and Kate Schellenbach, which were the Beastie Girls back in the day, in the hardcore days. And obviously, Kate Schellenbach was in Luscious Jackson and also the Beastie Boys. Um, And Sarah was also a girl that I've known. She was part of the because in in the early like eighty eighty one 81 the cool fabulous girls on the scene uh, were called the beastie girls and they hung out with the beastie boys and they were um these just cool chicks and they really didn't stick around when the scene developed they i guess moved on just like beastie boys moved on to greener pastures yeah. i guess they did they did they did as well but um for wench 2.0 uh, I ran into Sarah, and I said, hey, you know, what's up? I haven't seen you in years. And she's like, oh, I'm a bass player now. I go, no kidding. I was like, well, I had this band, and uh, I don't have it now, after Wench 1.0, the original one, fell apart after our tour of England. And we started jamming, and we got Robin McIver on guitar, Robin, and uh, Sarah, and that was Wench 2.0, and we wrote completely different music than, than Wench because the musicians were completely different with completely different influences, you know? So, and at that point, we didn't care. We were just experimenting. And I think that demo we recorded with Noah from the Iceman at the Westbeth Building. He had a studio. Do you remember Noah from the Iceman?
0: I'm sure, i I know the band. I just don't. I'm. I'm drawing a blank right now.
2: Yeah. No, it's great. Anyways, he had a little studio, Westbeth Building, and we recorded that demo there.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I'm still. I'm still got. I still got the Beastie Boys in my brain right now because a lot of people don't remember when they were punk band with the Polywax Stew record back in the day. And I remember seeing them in '81 or '82 at that time before they just made the transfer to the rap scene.
2: Yeah, absolutely. They were the original punk rockers, man. They were one of yes. the few, you know, kids that hung out and Beastie Boys uh released their uh I remember uh I got their polywogs too at uh Rab Cage Records and Sounds and I remember those dudes just printing those you know, the 45s, that's how, you know, back in the day, that yeah. you, you didn't sell demos, really. You would make, like, a 45 that was a cool thing to do. Um, and they would just go and ask the local <laughs> record stores to carry them, and they did. And I remember listening to WLIR. Remember that radio station yep, in Long Island? Sure they I were do. like New Wave, and w- they were one of the first to play the alternative music. And when I heard Cookie Puss... I was like, "Oh my God, they've made it they're rock stars. That's it." <laughs> and I, I and they did actually. I was right. Yeah. That yeah. was it. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. So I also played with Kate, and uh, after we came back from the '92 tour, Kate left the band for Luscious Jackson. And who would freaking blame her? <laughs> they're huge because the Beastie Boys signed them to their uh, record label, and they enjoyed great success.
0: Yeah. They were great time. When it comes to Wench, when did it all end? Was it right after that demo tape? When did Wench what? When did it Wench finally call it a day? Was it in the after, 92, 93? Uh, after
2: Wench 2.0, which is when we came back from the tour uh, in 90, 1992. Because after, um, you know, Kate left for Luscious Jackson, we were like, what are we doing? You know, forget it. It's over. So, um, Sarah. <laughs> Sarah Cox. Funny enough, just like the other bass player, Allison, left uh, and stayed in England after Wench 1 broke up, Sarah stayed in Germany after Wench 2 broke up after the tour, which is hysterical. And I just uh, was uh, still jamming with Robin McIver. And uh, from that point, we kind of developed into Shiny Mama later on,
0: you know. So, so Shiny I Mama came I'm... not long after Wench.
2: Oh, uh, Shiny Mama started out of, um, like, I would say Shiny Mama started at around 96, maybe, 95, okay. 96. Yeah, a couple of years, but from uh, from 92 to, let's say, 95 or 96, I kept on playing. It's just I wasn't releasing anything except maybe an extra demo or whatever, and uh, we didn't have a name. I think at one point it was called Honey, and then it... And then it turned into shiny mama and i started playing with carla ola again which is it, it's so incestuous because carla played with blondie uh, at one point but carla was also after we left pms carla became their bass player for a period of time so i started playing for with shiny mama i started playing again with carla and we got chip from the luna chicks on drums also and robin was on guitar and, um, you know, we jammed for a while, but, you know, Shiny Mama also went through changes, and then people changed. But the album was released, recorded in 2004, Shiny Mama, and released in 2005, and I'm really proud of that record. If you never heard it, you should listen to it. It's 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 rock and roll. It's just awesome rock to me, I think.
0: I'm going to go check that out. Like you said, I'll go, I'll go online and uh, and download that one and, and yeah, check out the music it's, on that. you
2: could either go and look at Shiny Mama and SoundCloud. Actually, if you look up Shiny Mama on SoundCloud, I put a lot of the demos that you might have not even heard there as well, from like 1999 and 95 and 92. So there's a lot of old crap on there and experimental that you could listen to the progression of sound if you care, you know?
0: To see yeah, I'm to check that out.
2: But I'm really proud of Shiny Mama. You should listen to it.
0: <laughs> hey. Did you ever think about maybe now, like all these years later, going back and revisiting any of those projects or bands and maybe trying to rekindle it, or is it just not, you know, something you're interested no, in it's, doing? look,
2: I'm 53 years old. At some point, you either have to step back and retire gracefully, you know, or because if you're not having fun anymore, what's the point? It's like nobody's paying me to do this, you know what I mean? So uh, yeah. at this point... Um, not really, I would say, because I've had problems finding people to play with. And for the longest time in all of the sort of 2000s, um, I started performing these in these avant-garde sort of experimental shows, I would say. Performance art type of thing. I was working with this guy called Adam Dugas, and he was doing a lot of shows at The Box. And they weren't hardcore, they weren't punk rock, they were mostly, you know, the trendy crowd went to those shows. But I enjoyed it because I performed wild shit wearing crazy outfits. You know, it was theater for me, it was so much fun. And then I was doing a lot of Madonna thons, which my friend Kathy Cervenka. was putting on and doing, even though I can't freaking stand Madonna, the whole show was (laughs) a lot of fun to do. It's just fun. Um, It's good entertainment. Yeah, and I was doing a lot of different like rock shows where different singers come up on stage and do their so and, and do uh, cover songs, and I enjoyed that because I played great venues like Joe's Pub. You know, they were little upscale venues. I wasn't playing to two guys and a freaking dog. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was playing to to full ha- I was playing to full houses, and people appreciated me, and it was a beautiful thing. But now I'm kind of over it, and I was also. A couple of years ago, I started a band called Shio because I love Ronnie James Dio because he's a, an amazing vocalist, and as a vocalist, oh, yeah. I love singing in his style, and I can, and that's why I did it. You know, it's not like, not everybody can sing Dio. If you if you can't sing a certain way, you should not sing Dio. Lucky for me, I can sing that way because I always sounded like a dude um, to, to some degree, um, and maybe that's why they called us metal or whatever because of my operatic, slightly operatic vocals, whatever. I don't know. Everybody has an opinion, just like an asshole. But <laughs> the point, be- but the, but the point being is that it it was a lot of fun. So this band, Shio, we played a couple of shows. But I am so sick of being the manager of people and flaky musicians and paying these retard[s]. Uh, it, so uh, it, it was just disgusting for me to, you know, if I ever find cool peeps to jam with, I'm down, I guess, for fun. But so far, I haven't found that, you know, diamond in the rough. So it ain't yeah. going to happen unless some, something it's... weird happens and just lands on my lap. But i ain't not really seeing that happening anytime soon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hoping that it does. Yeah, I'm gonna to have to let you go because we only got a little bit of time left in the show. I want to get some fine. music from I you. I had such a good time chatting with you.
2: I hope I hope it made some sense, you know, because Absolutely. I'm going through my memories, the memory lane, and I'm you know hitting a few walls here. But
0: um, yeah, all good. <laughs> I-, I hope you enjoyed it and it was fun. Yeah, I had a great time, Yana. And the best thing I've So, of Mike, let me know.
2: Email me and let me know if you need me to give you more information about anything. And, and if whatever you want, my man, just let me know.
0: I will, Yana. Thank you very much. You have a great night. I'll talk to you Cheers. Again soon. Cheers. You have a good one. Rock on. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. That's what I love, man. Guests like her. Full of life, got a lot to say, and it makes everything so much easier on me. All right, let's start with some PMS. Then we're going to some Wench. On the run. <laughs> with fire in the sky man those are two great records even though one of them didn't get released too many years later uh what a solid act i would love to see a reunion from those guys and before that went with stone cold and we kicked off that set with pms pre-metal syndrome on the run anytime somebody brings up the beastie boys in the old days and they were a punk band to me that's always pretty cool All right. There really isn't much going on. I've seen the metal news, uh, you know, this week. I mean, I just kind of got back from vacation last week, so I got a lot of catching up to do on what's been taking place and going on. So uh, not much else to really talk about here tonight. We're going to kind of take it easy for the rest of the year with the guests. We have guests. We have like one guest a week booked. And then we'll do our holiday shows on the two Sundays at the end of the year, our Christmas show, and our Happy New Hair show. Next week, we have Joe Lawson from Dragon Law on the show. Don't forget to tune in. And then on the 17th, we have no show. It's my granddaughter's christening, so we won't be here that day. But we'll be back on the 24th. We're here every weekend until the end of the year. So I guess that's a good thing, right? All right. How about a little Maltese Falcon? I can't remember the last time I played these guys on the show. Metal Rush. Raven, Break the Chain. You know, a few months ago, uh, they put out the over-the-top, the the neat albums. It's a box set from like 81 to 84. To me, that was the best era of Raven ever. You know, Rock Until You Drop, Wiped Out, All From One. It had Live at the Inferno on there also. Uh, I kind of fell out of favor with the band uh, when the next record came out. I think that was the first album on Atlantic with Stay Hard. And it was a little commercial sound, and I, I just couldn't get into the group, you know. It was many years later before I kind of picked up on him again. I want to say it was around the Everything Louder record in the 90s. And then I kind of bounced in and out. There really weren't that many records out after that. Uh, Raven's been on this like five or six year record plan. You know, it's been five years since Extermination came out, uh, which was a really good record, I have to say. Probably one of Raven's better ones in the last decade or so. Well, then again, they only put out like one to two records in a decade, right? But I mean, you know, since the 2000s, Extermination was definitely one of the band's most solid records Hopefully we'll have something out in 2020. We won't have to wait seven or eight years uh, to get a new record by the guys. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, We're going to play a few more tunes. We're going to wrap it up here tonight. We're going to call it a day. Um, The Rage of Armageddon Festival. There wasn't any festival, I think, this year or last. The last one I went to was about two years ago, and it was kind of like a nightmare in Brooklyn. Every band was delayed. The night just dragged on. I mean, you know, I know it's not easy to put on these festivals, dealing with a lot of bands, but... The place was a real shithole. I mean, I forgot the name of the club that they had it at. Most of the cl- most of the rock and metal clubs in Brooklyn are all in like the Bushwick. Williamsburg, Greenpoint section of Brooklyn these days, and most of them are like these real shitholes, you know? And, you know, I didn't mind going to them like when I was 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, but today, I don't want to stand on some club with you know, plywood floors that are shaking and rattling, you know, just these filthy, dirty, dingy places. And it was like a night that never wanted to end. All the bands were running really, really late, and there was getting to be a lot of frustration in the room. So I don't even think I saw the last two bands of the night, which were Thrust, and I can't remember. I think it was one of King Fowley's bands. Uh, it just kept dragging on and on. So hopefully this next one will be better. I'm excited because my good friend Steve Gaines from Anger Resort, the original singer from Abattoir, uh, they're going to be doing a, a band called Abba Lust. It's going to be uh, members of Abattoir and members of Bloodlust. And also the members of Anger Resort are going to be on the band too. They're going to be doing a lot of those songs from those early records of the band. So I'm looking forward to seeing them when they come around next year and catching up with my good buddy Steve. We'll have him on the show Probably uh, sometime in the new year, and we'll talk about that festival. Uh, I think Darkness was announced, uh, the German band Darkness, the Thresh band, uh, Impaler so far, Blood Feast to play every single show that ever comes out here in New York City, they're on every bill, and I think one or two other bands, nothing really major yet, uh, so we'll have to see who else is going to be at that festival. It's usually a two-day festival, uh, but like I said, it's over a year away, it's just about a year away, so we'll uh, get more info as it's released. Okay, have thou some forbidden, feel no pain. victim of the insane all right we're gonna wrap it up here tonight one more song and then I'm off to work the job that actually pays the bills <laughs> I wish this one did I would do it all day if it did but it doesn't all right so I want to thank my guest Jana Chapanko from PMS and wench we'll see you guys next Sunday night Joe Lawson from Dragon Law is on the show we will have a lot of new music to get to next week I just didn't have a chance uh, getting back from vacation and have a lot of time this week but All the new releases that were sent to me, I promise we'll get them on next week. All right, let's close it out here tonight. How about a little Persian Risk? Dark Tower. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday.
3: Dark
1: Tower!